Rebuilders today, we are talking about the vibe shift. The vibe shift, the change of season towards zeal. Yeah. Uh, There is a zeal that is emerging in many young people under 25. But how do we lead into this when at the same time, many older people feel tired (laughs) and burnt out? And uh, yeah, what does God want to do through this? Uh, What is the story that he wants to write about the future? Yeah, we had a great conversation. It's an um, episode that we're thrilled to share with you. Thanks for joining us for 2024. Welcome to Rebuilders. My name is Liddy and I'm here with Mark and Daniel for the first time in 2024. Mm-hmm. It's great to be back. How are you both? Great. We've already lost our minds and it's only <laughs> February. <laughs> Well, only just February. Yeah, just yeah. February. No, no, our bonus, almost March. Yeah, 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 yeah it's our yeah. bonus day. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 29. Yeah. Oh, happy, happy leap year happy leap day. Year. My uncle was born. It's his birthday today, actually. Oh, oh how old is he now? At a punt, uh, like 14. Yeah. It would save you money. Yeah. On presents. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen him in a while, but okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'll get him a gift today. Mm. What does he do? Does he He's a town crier, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> does he celebrate there? his birthday on the day before or the day after it would Yeah, be? how do you do it? Yeah. Look, to be honest, I'm not that close with him, so I'm not okay. sure how he celebrates his birthday. Yeah. Well, there's a phone call yeah. you need to make, Daniel, yeah. because yes. we need yes. some information. Yes. Okay. And there's a heartwarming side video Rebuilders will produce. <laughs> <laughs> the reunion. <laughs> But also, if you are a listener, this is just me throwing this out there. Um, If you are were born on the 29th, when do you celebrate your birthday? Like, I'm Mm. I'm curious about that. Mm. I'd say the first of March, because like 28th, 29th. Ah, yeah. So you don't have 29th in the first. Yeah. There you go. I mean, I like to celebrate my birthday for an entire week, so, you know. Well, March is the birthday month of champions, Mm -hmm. which is all of us are March. Is our birthday week. Marches. Yep. Also, just thank you to our audience for their patience. We had lots of people asking, are you coming back? We were always going to come back. We were meant to come back weeks ago, but sickness, jury duty. Mm-hmm. Uh, political things. intrigue, all of it, <laughs> all of it kept us away. I did wonder for a second when mm. you were like, oh, thank you to the audience for your patience in us just talking about the yeah, 29th yeah, of February. But no, you were actually mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes, but thank you. Yes, thank you for holding out. And we're, we're very glad to be back here yeah. at um, the microphones recording again. Mm. Um, yeah, looking forward to the year ahead. Well, today we are going to start off uh, this episode by talking about this concept of the vibe shift. Mm. What are we talking about, Mark? Are we changing into a fashion mm. podcast? Yes. No. Um, <laughs> the, the vibe shift is a term that was created by the New York trend forecaster, Sean Monaghan, to describe something that had happened as people emerged out of the pandemic. Mm. And uh, he talked about the fact that, uh, you know, he said millennials went into the pandemic thinking they were young and emerged to find Gen Z or Gen Z or Zoomers Mm. uh, ruling the roost. And so what a vibe shift is in his taking, and then all these people wrote articles about it, and he's primarily talking about fashion, uh, is really when there's been a shift of mood, but you can miss it and some not everyone realises what's going on. Mm. He talked about the fact that as he walked around New York coming out of the pandemic, there's all these people wearing trucker hats and fashions that millennials detested uh, but were almost being worn by Gen Z, almost in sort of 
you know, defining themselves against the previous generation. Uh, so just going to use that term, but I'm not going to talk about fashion. What I am going to talk about is just something that we've noticed. It's a little bit of a generational shift, but it's not totally a generational shift, but I mm -hmm. think it is a spiritual shift. Sure. Is the shift towards what I'm going to call zeal. Hmm. I just began to notice that uh, in the last couple of years, just the difference in tone when I'd have conversations with people who are sort of 18, 19, 20, 21, excited about their faith, and people who are perhaps a bit older. And um, so a lot of people say, oh, Mark, well, you know, people are often more enthusiastic when they're in their youth. But I've been around youth ministry for a long time and what is a former youth minister. The kind of zeal that I'm seeing in young people I've not seen before mm. and it feels older. Again, we just had come up to the sort of year anniversary of Asbury and I think there was something about that that as some of the articles reflected upon it, there's some great articles around in different places, uh, reflected that really you almost had this corrective coming in the outpouring amongst Gen mm. Z or Gen Z where they almost were looking for a really authentic, wholehearted, devoted faith that was asking oh, for a lot of sacrifice that was uncompromising. David Thomas uh, said, um, he's one of the shepherds of the Asbury thing, that they, they found Gen Z were looking for moral clarity. Mm. There was a lot of repentance, confession. It, it felt new but it also felt old. And what I've noticed is it's not just true of what happened at Asbury. I'm hearing that everywhere. We're seeing spot fires. We talked about some of the spot fires over time, but seeing that taking hold in younger people. We had Pete Gregg visit us and and sort of got a lot of people under 25 up on stage at the end um, of his sort of talk uh, when he visited here at Red Church. And, uh, you know, out of that have come prayer meetings. Nearby, you know, there was a church where a young man um, asked his sort of church leadership to open up the church building and pray all night. He didn't want to be known, didn't put his name to it. That's very different than the mood we've seen for a little while. Mm. And so I think there's just this sense that uh, where we've gotten to, people are looking at faith and they want to see a wholehearted embracing, a wholehearted living out. That's something that really seems to not, it's not the whole generation, you know, but there's definitely this sort of move of zeal. And zeal's a word that, uh, uh, I think captures this moment. Mm. Yeah. So you've talked about zeal being this sort of hunger, and that it's an embodiment of mm. of faith, almost. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think some of the things we see around is it's sort of centered on the presence of God, centered on the power of God, but there's an activeness, an outwardness to it. Sure. The desire to sort of just get into spaces, no hype, seek the presence of God, but also go out in the world sort of in mission as well. It's mm. it's really interesting, uh, this sort of mood uh, that we're noticing, you know, we're seeing it at Red and, and other places. It's definitely a kind of vibe shift happening in the world. Yeah. And would you say that this – generally is, I mean, generally it sounds like it's it's more uh, emblematic of what is happening in Gen Z, but would you say that you're seeing it across other generations? Yeah, in, in sporadic places. I, I think that, you know, we've seen people at Red who are not Gen Z um, who, who have felt that zeal sort mm. of come from nowhere. And what's interesting too is a lot of people I know, I was talking to someone the other day, it sort of almost came unexpected. They did not expect it. Mm. Hmm. And a potency in their prayer life, a hunger for God's presence, a desire for his word. As I talked to this person, they were like as surprised as anyone that this had sort of come upon them. Mm. And, you know, I think we've seen it and read some of the things that God has done here. We're struggling to put a language to it. But I think zeal is something that I think aligns with, you know, and zeal is a biblical word. It's an attribute of God. 
Mm. Um, it's something that we're encouraged to pursue, um, but it hasn't been used for some time. And it's been perhaps used in a negative sense. We have the English word zealot, you know, mm. which of course goes back to a sort of sect in, you know, Second Temple Judaism who wanted to sort of fight off the Romans with um, sort of military means, almost like a guerrilla mm. group. Um, so there's an element, you know, in Scripture, and Paul talks about this, he was zealous and he was persecuting the church. Uh, but then there's this sort of God focus zeal, which actually comes from God Himself. Isaiah yes. talks about God being clothed in a cloak of zeal, of yes. stirring up zeal like a warrior going out. And so, yeah, it's just really interesting. And I think probably you get attuned to moods um, at different times, and there's just this interesting new mood of zeal out there. Again, it's not happening at the massive. You know, I'm not hearing it outbreaking at this mega church or at that big conference, it's it, it's more like we're hearing stories from off the sort of grid places and mm. university ministries and having individuals, but it's definitely a thing. It's definitely like time to name the trend. Yeah. And it's interesting, I, I think, you know, looking back on some of the things that we discussed last year, one of those episodes we talked about burnout. Mm. Um, how does how does that work with you know? I mean, where we get the emails and we have conversations with uh, different people across the world and know that there's this uh, fatigue and lethargy, yes. um, particularly on the back of the pandemic. Mm. How does something like this emerging mm. zeal? How do you grapple with that in mm. if you're in that state of being like, oh, I don't know what I've got left here. Mm. This is one of the great complexities of, of this. And, and this is where I think using the metaphor of Sean Monaghan's vibe shift. You yeah. know, we could have just said a new spiritual move. I deliberately sure. use that yeah. term because I think there's a sense where it feels at odds with what a lot of people are experiencing. And I've noticed mm. that. So I've literally in certain days had conversations with people under 25 who are just on fire, people who've just gained this new sense. They've never experienced it. What's really interesting I'm finding too is they're like, young adults who've been through youth ministries and never had that full-on experience. They've had lots of programs, lots of entertainment, and yeah. they're rediscovering this thing that, I don't know, you'd almost seen a Leonard Ravenhill book or something. But you're right. You're 100% right. Often the people above them in age, um, you know, what, what characterizes the mood of their moment is tiredness, mm. burnout, mm. exhaustion, a world not – looking particularly friendly at the moment yeah. and ministry being really, really difficult. And the mood there is almost dissipated. It's 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 tired. And I think this is one of the complexities at this moment. Um, and that's one of the sort of uh, ways that we've got to hold this together. But I think it's important to name. Yes. Because, um, yeah, it, it's, it's zeal often may be misunderstood as the perhaps perhaps well in that in that episode we talked about um, burnout. Mm. Part of what I named was there's the burnout that comes from working too much, mm. you know. But then we named a lot of the burnout today is really about a lot of the cultural stuff of constant choice anxiety, sure. of overstimulation from social media. Um, so we can hear zeal and recoil thinking, oh, what are you saying? We're going to run around like a headless chicken. People mm. have models of church which have burnt them out because of endless volunteerism and all this yes. sort of stuff. I think zeal is different. Zeal is supernatural. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it comes from God. It, it is an attribute of his. So it's not going to burn us out. Mm. Um, and it's actually an energy source when you're emptied out. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, just in that response there, you talked a little bit about the context in which this is happening. Um, and we've talked about, 
you know, <laughs> many leaders facing burnout and that kind of thing. Is there anything else in terms of the context in which we're seeing this this zeal emerge, um, particularly mm. in the younger generation? Is there anything mm. else about the context that yeah. um, is worth mentioning? Well, people may have gasped a little bit as, well, not everyone, but some, <gasps> when I gave the Sean, I talked about Sean Monaghan and I, didn't have, I don't have the direct quote with me, but he basically said, yeah, VibeShift emerged in spring 2021 when millennials who'd entered into the pandemic thinking they were young emerged and the Zoomers were ruling the roost, mm. Gen Z, Gen Z. And that implies that the millennials are not young anymore. Mm. <laughs> and so the other context that this happens in is in, I'm going to call it millennial maturation. Sure. So at different times, different generations and generational theory, I say all this knowing all the limitations of generational theory, you can't paint you know, millions of people with a single brush stroke, but you can see overarching trends. Sure. So, you know, we have talked a lot about and defined a lot about uh, boomer leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have a lot of commentary on Gen X leadership as well. And, you know, often when we look above and think about the mistakes made, we're looking at the generation that preceded us and mm. looking at the errors they made and, and not yeah. wanting to learn from them. Uh, but part of the problem is that we still think we're young and we always look upwards versus downwards. Often we look downwards in like confusion, uh, certain <laughs> fashions are back or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you remember, it sort of changed a bit now, but when Melbourne opened up from the pandemic, every single Australian Gen Z guy had a mullet you know, for a period of their life. <laughs> and I was on the train and, the, and they were all talking with really strong Aussie accents and was putting them on. I thought, what has happened? You know, I, I had my own vibe shift moment there. Um, uh, so in a sense, you recoil downwards. But one of the key things is often generations, and I think this is true since the post-war era when, mm. you know, from the boomers onwards, it was youth culture really. You know, it's what defined mass culture and the post-war period, particularly as it sort of came out of America and Britain, youth culture. So because we live in an overarching narrative of youth culture which values youth over aging, that mm. we always see ourselves as young, you know. You know, 30 is the new 20, 40 is the new 30, 50 is the new 40, 60 is the new 50, 70, you know, and onwards. Um, and so I think that part of also what is happening at this moment is a lot of leaders, uh, millennials, mm. and, and moving into positions of leadership Above them, there's not Gen X was a small um, cohort, mm. and a lot of Gen X sort of just I don't know was sort of like the tone and mood often of Gen X was sort of tearing things down versus sure. building things, and yeah. um, it was a bit punk rock. So you know, there's not a lot of people which stayed in sort of institutional positions of leadership, churches, mm. long term, etc. So you're seeing this handover from sort of boomers to millennials in a lot of places. And that's happening in Australia. I know in other countries they might be like, well, the boomers aren't handing it across yet. I get that. Um, But what that means is all of a sudden for millennials who see themselves as young waiting for power to be handed over, all of a sudden are in power. Mm. And even if you go, like, I'm I'm not not in power, I don't have a position. Well, in our internet-driven world, you have influence, you have a platform, what you put out there, others are watching, and there's younger people watching you. And so- this millennial maturation, I think, is a really important point because if you have many of the millennials, we know, look, let's be honest, the majority of our audience is millennials. There's yes. a significant Gen Z cohort as well and others, but that's a lot of who listen to us mm. and they're the ones who are asking questions about how to lead in this world at this time. Yeah. Um, so for them, um, there's this really interesting question. If they're feeling tired, burnt out, all of this, how mm. do they then lead people who are looking for zeal? 
Yes. And so I think there's these two parts here. Like any generation as they move into maturation, there's this growing up discipleship thing where all of a sudden it's not about me and my individual life journey. Youth is inherently self-focused. And so I think that there is this sort of potential two paths that could emerge at this time. There is this sort of just going deeper into the self, self-management, the project self. Um, Or there's a, hang on, okay, I'm not young anymore. This is not about my little individual life movie. Mm. What this is about is championing the next generation. This is the Elijah giving the anointing to Elisha. Yeah. And it's interesting too, if you read that story in 2 Kings, um, there's also this attack that comes against Elijah. Mm. Elijah finds himself in the, he's had this great victory over the prophets of Baal, but then there's this counterattack and Jezebel comes after um, Elijah and she doesn't come up to him, come up, come against him directly, it's fear. And he's overwhelmed by the battle and he sort of goes out into the desert and he's just sort of wants to die and, and retreats under the tree. And I think often at that midlife maturation point, you mm. can fall into the temptation of just retreating from the fray. Yes. In other generations, maybe it's it's you know the boomer sort of element of that was I don't know buying a sports car and you know running off with the secretary and the Gen X one was to I don't know you know I don't know create a punk band and go and break windows. Um, but I wonder if there is some of the temptation is because things have been so hard to retreat or retreat into the self. Yes. And, you know, for a generation that was told that it, could, that it could change the world and the world is looking like it's not hitting in a great position, then you just become managing your own interior world. Mm. But what does Elijah do? Elijah, he's the still small voice of God. Mm. And I still find it fascinating that the sort of the outpouring as it was experienced at Asbury, some of the stuff we experienced at Red, some stuff that other people experienced, felt more like the still. There was, there was, a, there was a power of God, but it was also in, in a quiet, mm. gentle peaceful sense. Um, Elijah experiences the the, um, uh, the still small voice. Also, he's told that there's 7,000 hours out there. He thinks he's the only one, but there's actually a remnant of others out there who are mm. still, still, still on the side of God, you know. And so, you know, he then sort of gets out of that stupor and what he moves in from is from retreat to anointing and passing over the mantle. Mm. Mm. So, so midlife, whatever generation you are, midlife is moving into the place of passing on the mantle through the anointing um, and passing that on. So I think that for people hearing this, uh, that's a real stark choice. I'm just going to be honest for a moment. Yeah. Um, and there is a mood. There's a, there's a cultural mood to this goblin mode. There's the Chinese lying flat movement. There is quiet quitting. There's go slow at work. There is an overarching mood of culture. Go back and listen to our neoliberalism series of mm. coming to the end of an exhausting period of overwork, overconsumption, overstimulation to retreat. But actually think the counter move of the spirit is actually to move into the space of anointing. Mm. And just one other point in that, Jezebel comes against Elijah. There is therefore the principalities in power are going to come against the generation who are moving into positions of leadership and influence now in order for them to retreat so that the anointing is not passed on. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Hmm. And will come with the spirit of apathy, what they called often in the medieval period, uh, acedia. Yep. And it's, that's actually the opposite of zeal. Mm. And then you see sort of Elijah emerging from that. He's got zeal, you know. Mm. Um, and he hands it across to, to Elijah. And then you have the incredible Jehu 
who goes after Jezebel. And, you know, there's that moment where he comes across, I think it's Jehonadab. I can't even say it. Jehonadab. Jehonadab. I think. And he's like, I'm, I'm heading this way. Get in the chariot and see my zeal for the Lord. Yeah. And so I think that's actually the opposite at that moment. But, uh, yeah. So given that, um, well, potentially many uh, people who are listening to this might feel like they're in that that space um, and you mentioned the the sitting under the tree and the be still, the, the still small voice of God um, to sit and to rest and to receive from him. How, how does that practically play out, you know? Yeah. How do we, yeah. how do we gain zeal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In Reappearing Church, I talked about two wings of renewal, form and fire. And I want to just talk about another sub-variant of it. Let's call it that. <laughs> okay. Um, formation and encounter. Yeah, okay. Getting the balance between these two right is crucial. So I got to this point and part of my, I guess, my heart for and I'd even say theology of renewal came when I think probably lots of people got to the end of the church growth movement, mm. late stage church growth. And whether that's in its missional church form or in its sort of like, hey, let's just do sort of really well-run churches in cities that are secular and with culturally relevant sermons and ascetic and all of this. You got to the end of that and like there's some good, but you realize that people weren't being transformed. Mm. So renewal, I began to get hard of renewal. But then also what happened with me is, you know, if, if you read, you know, a lot of people ask me about this, you're a disappearing church, reappearing church. What's the difference between those two books? My answer probably at the end of, like, I still think disappearing church is important and I still stand by stuff I wrote in it. But I think very much that was sort of to almost create a counter-formational <coughs> practices and so on um, <coughs> to create resiliency. The subtitle is uh, it's, it's around, you know, from relevance to resilience. So that's almost the mm -hmm. move from late stage church growth sure. yeah. into formation. Yeah. Um, and uh, do I believe that move was correct? 100%. Do I mm -hmm. believe resilience is important? 100%. Um, it came as the response to often what was quite shallow consumer Christianity mm -hmm. and uh, which didn't form people. People came, oh, I don't like this kind of church, so I'll come to your church or I'll come here because it seems quasi cool and I want to be in the world and I want to still be cool. Um and then, you know, this realisation that, hang on, people are sort of formed and there needs to be practices and there needs to be commitment, there needs to be devotion. Um, and we need to do that together. And if the world is individualising, we need to do that in community. If we're being formed by social media and all these, all these different things in the culture, um, we need to be formed in a different way um, towards God. Mm. Reappearing church further strengthened was really my expression of my coming to the limitations of formation. Sure. Where I began to see that having done that for a number of years, like years, mm. um, that there are people who would step into those patterns yet it still wasn't changing them. Yeah. And I think what I began to just began to get flummoxed by. <laughs> Great word. <laughs> and I've even been even more flummoxed in the last 12 months. Mm is people who have had encounters with the Holy Spirit and some of this stuff that we've been talking about mm. who were changed in a moment. Mm. 
Yeah. Neil, who is the board chair here at Red, he's also the um, head of ACOM um, Seminary here or Bible College. You know, we were reflecting on some change we'd seen in people and he said, Mark, I, I, I saw in, you know, I'm paraphrasing him, he says, I'm like, I saw in a moment almost seven years of change. Mm. You know, we saw this at the end, at the end of, in some people. We're like, well, like how, do, how do we, this cuts across some of my thinking around formation. Mm-hmm. And I have to almost, in a sense, not fit what happened there around my ideology. My ideology needs to fit with actually what the Holy Spirit did in that moment. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have seen people who have faithfully followed in my life, carving out time in the morning, having practices of prayer, retreat, all of that has deeply shaped who I am. Uh, but then there's just been these moments where the Holy Spirit has accelerated things in encounter. Mm. And I see in Sinai, Moses has this encounter with the burning bush, he, you know, returns to the mountain of God and there is all the fire and pyrotechnics atop the mountain, the meeting with God, the incredible heaven coming close, you know, this tabernacle in the high places really. And then in a sense really what the law then, the practices that Israel then integrates into its community is actually a response to recreate in a sense the dwelling place in every part of human life Mm. to make Israel a tabernacle. Um, And so what I've realized is that you can go to these two extremes. If you just have all encounter and you're just constantly chasing that encounter moment, the mountaintop moment, I mean, if that's all it is, uh, it can come and it's incredible, but it can have a lack of maturity. Mm. Some of the young people I've spoken to, I'm so excited and hear their passion and it's it's like something from a past generation. Mm. Uh, It's so exciting and uh, I love it. It's contagious. But then there's an element just occasionally, I just need a little bit of maturity there. Um, Again, I refer to the zealots that Paul warns that zeal can lead to zealotry. Mm. when it gets misdirected from God. Mm. So I feel like we need maturation. And and what zeal really is, it's not momentary, it's not a flash, it's not hype. What zeal is, is determined action. It's passion and intent, which means determined action in a, in a significantly long period. Yes. Um, we were talking before, you and I, Liddy, uh, John Tyson made the comment that, you know, one of the things that's driven him, and a lot of people see him as a person with zeal, and I think he is, is, is inspiring. Mm. But part of, I think, his sort of raison d'etre of, you know, his, his ministry life is that the zeal he had as a, as a young man praying at Rundle Mall in Adelaide <laughs> at six o'clock in the morning or whatever, that he wanted that to stay with him. Yeah. And I, and I really admire that. So to keep the zeal, you need the formational practices. Yes. Uh, however, um, what you can have is you have another extreme where without zeal, formational practices can just become religious. Sure. Yeah. They can track into a form of control and actually can almost begin to mirror the world in a retreat into the self. Mm. Mm. Um, and often John said another great thing um, when he was out here in Melbourne. He said um, he, he was talking about American Christianity. I think this is true. And, again, American Christianity sets the tone for a lot of global Christianity or mm-hmm. English-speaking Christianity mm. um, is – you know, America will have one big Christian trend happening and then there's a whole reaction against that Christian trend, mm. you know. So it's like this binary. Um, and so I think there's a lot of people out, out here who have been in perhaps large mega churches, big Pentecostal churches. They're burnt out, you know. So some formational practices are good. Mm. Um, there's other people too who have just been doing the right thing for ages and they're hungry for the presence of God. Yes. 
but we actually need both. Mm. Um, I'm naming lots of people here. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, Pete Gregg for me, the founder of 24-7 Prayer, is someone who really models for me those two things. Mm. You know, he was on stage at Red here, you know, like we were all crying out for God to move. It was this incredible moment where we all cried out for God to move at the end of his sermon. It was a, it was an encounter moment. Mm. People were profoundly touched by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit yes. fell at that moment, uh, particularly on young people. But then Pete also, you know, you read his books and you, you listen to Pete and, he, you know, he walked through um, a really difficult time with, you know, Sammy, his wife's health, and he wrote a book, God on Mute, when God doesn't answer those prayers. And I love that maturity. I love zeal um, that is long haul. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I think I think formational plus encounter equals long haul zeal. Yeah. Um, I do mm. think that there is this temptation. It, there's two two temptations. <laughs> zeal with that formation will head into zealotry. It will end up turning back to just busyness. Yeah. It'll turn to just chasing the next experience. Um. You know, I saw this video of the other day on Instagram of like these young people, like 16, 17, they're following around. The, there's like the grateful, there's all these the deadheads who follow the grateful dead yeah, in yeah. camper vans and then grateful dead quit and they've just followed all these different bands. Yeah, okay. But there was like these 17 year old, I'm like, you're like the third generation of this. This is bizarre. But the sort of hippies chasing the experience across America. Yes. You know, there's a sort of Christian version of that. Um, and, you know, it needs the maturation. The fire needs the, you know, like form the form <laughs> but then i think and maybe maybe like if i can just be provocative for a moment or gently provocative is that even possible we'll um, find out <laughs> uh i wonder if more of our audience is probably the the other side is the great temptation at the moment because mm. of the difficulties of the last few years because leading is hard and we know it's not just pastors listening to this we've got everyone from people in parliament to plumbers mm. listening to this um, that leadership is hard, it's more complex, um, and this podcast ex often explains why it's complex and conflicted and contested. So the sense of, yeah, look, I can just control these formations and that's it, but there's a danger that there can be a manifestation of that that's not disruptable. Can you explain what you mean by that? Sometimes God will come to disrupt your spiritual practices. Yeah. Hmm. Daniel and I were talking the other day, and uh, the disciples are following Jesus. It's awesome. Hanging out, smelling the, you know, Middle Eastern oregano scent on the wind. I with really Jesus. wondered where that was uh, going. Yeah, sorry, I was trying to remember it. It's sort of Zatar, that's what I was trying to get to. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you're out there, you're sitting around fires with Jesus, you know, sort of camping out. It's just amazing. There's, 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 there's crowds, there's, there's things happening, incredible. You know, just following in the footsteps of the master. But then Jesus is like, okay, get out of here, you know. And I think you elucidated a bit there, Daniel. Sorry to put you on the spot. But it's also like he's preparing them for when he left. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know. And, you know, he says that. And Jesus later on says, I had to go so that the counsel of the Holy Spirit would come. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know. And I think there's this danger where I remember the pandemic broke a lot of my spiritual practices because all of a sudden we're doing homeschooling for two years in Melbourne trying to run this. You're basically the only people I saw outside of my family uh, <laughs> for a large part of that yep. doing rebuilders. And um, it was impossible to have quiet. What the, on, on earth was Sabbath? Like all the boundaries got broken down and I just was like, what are you saying in the midst of this, Lord? Mm. Now, the other thing too is I think we've just got to be honest for a moment here too is that a lot of people who – 
Uh, I, mean, I remember talking to someone and just bumping into someone at that time who's a, someone who's on a refugee visa and, um, the, you know, just how hard they had to work during the pandemic and it was really hard to just stop for a minute. And, and, and sometimes if we're really careful, uh, people in ministry can take a morning off and, and, and go up the mountains and stuff like that. But working class people, people working hard, you know, like there's a danger that there's some sort of privilege. You know, I don't want to say privilege, I've used word these days, but there's a sort of sense that not everyone can do that. There's seasons yeah. where you've had twins like we did. There's seasons like what Trudy and I just walked through where, you know, Trudy had chemo. Like like it was – I could not have a perfectly constructed world of spiritual practices through Trudy's chemo because I was, I was doing everything, you know. Mm. Um, so – Life comes to disrupt practices and I think sometimes the Holy Spirit uses that because he wants to show us something new. He wants to show us something. Yeah, yeah, new. yeah. But then sometimes also, like as again I said, you've got the Exodus moment where the practices were there to bring into the world the reality of the encounter. Mm. You know? mm-hmm. um, and, and to build a people who could have a dwelling place. And this is where, you know, when, when Jesus is seen in the temple, it's in John 2, I think, where Jesus is like clearing out the temple and yeah. the disciples see him and they remember the verse from uh, Psalm, Psalm 69, 69 verse 9, uh, zeal for, for my house will consume, or zeal for his house, zeal for God's house will consume him. Um, I'm getting the grammatical parts wrong there. But that sense that what's the zeal for the house? What's Jesus doing there? Jesus is clearing out the temple. What's the temple? The temple is the dwelling place of God. It, before that was the tabernacle. Before that was the mountaintop. Before that was Eden, Jacob's ladder. It, it's these places where God, heaven and earth comes close, where we meet with God. There's encounter, power and presence comes. Mm, mm. Mm. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a sense where in those moments we're marked by something. And just as I talked about before of Elijah passing on and imparting something into Elijah, God imparts something into us, his power, his presence in yes. those moments. So I think if it's just sort of like just the formation thing without that, it becomes religious. Yeah. Um, but then also you need to integrate that. Like Israel's got like literally the book of Leviticus has verses about how to do a poo during war. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like what to do with mold, periods, mildew. You know, like it's very earthy and real because it was it was constructing a people shaped by the presence and encounter who then had to live in the real world. And that's yes. the missional element of this. Like, yeah. like I think this is where the danger of just just sort of, you know, just formation without encounter is that it loses its missional edge and we retreat mm, from yeah. the world. You know, and and you know, Buddhism has a tradition in some parts of Buddhism where, um, um, or if people don't understand what I'm saying for the Americans, Buddhism, <laughs> uh, Buddhism uh, ha- has a trajectory where there's a man, and in the later parts of his life, he begins to detach from life. He stops. He leaves his family. He leaves his community, and he goes to a mountaintop and reaches enlightenment. And that's going up to the mountain. Mm. The Christians, you know, come down from the mountain. Peter wants to build little shelters on top of the mountain. Yeah. But then Jesus is like, no, and they go back down and they, you know, confront a demon-afflicted child. Mm. And, you know, Moses has to come from the down mountain to a bunch of crazy people uh, worshipping a golden calf, <laughs> you know. And, and Jonathan Sachs says something really interesting. He, he talked about Jonathan Sachs was the rabbi of the Commonwealth and in his commentary on the book of Exodus he contrasted the sort of Western Hellenic idea of what we think the sort of prophet is of someone who sits apart from the culture and sort of stands at a distance and 
you know, uh, you know, observes it. Mm. With the Jewish prophet who is like a Moses, who's in the middle of all the people and almost getting jostled in every opinion. And he says, what, what the, the, the sort of Hellenic model is detached. I'm paraphrasing him, what I remember of the passage. Mm. But the, the Jewish one is immense. They have solidarity. <laughs> they're a prophet, but they're one of the people experiencing everything that people are experiencing. Yeah. And so I think when, you know, th that's what encounter does. Encounter and form will take us back to do this amongst the people. Mm. So all those listening go, man, I'm beat up by the last little while. Mm. It's, it's just people. Like this would be so easy without people. Um, it for, uh, encounter and, and form will, will bring us back amongst the people to be God's people amongst the people as a living sign and witness to them a, a city on a hill. So we understand the context in which this is happening. Zeal is emerging, um, but it's also meeting this space of people who are burnt out and don't know what's next. And you are suggesting that there is this balance between formation and encounter that we yeah. both need to be formed, but we also need and thirst for yes. the presence. And that's where zeal comes from. Yes. The zeal is long haul passion. Yes. So the vibe shift, take yeah. us back then. Okay, so the vibe shift. So the vibe shift does point out a generational dynamic. Sure. Um, Trudy's got a great word around this, which maybe we'll get her on to talk about or she might do a sermon on soon, so I'll, I'll leave that for her. But there's something interesting I find that in the midst of this, I think this generation which has got zeal is looking for guides. Mm. I think that marked – what I've noticed just getting to know the guys around Asbury and what happened more is that you've got Gen Z, but then you've got some older people who are guiding that. And that's a beautiful image. And again, too, that's an Elijah, Elisha image. Mm. So I think the answer to the vibe shift is there's an Elijah, Elijah dynamic of handing over. And maybe what millennials, and I know it's not just millennials, maybe some people outside of that Gen X boom is hearing, is they actually need to be to learn from the witness of the zeal. Mm. My friend Darren, who's a pastor at um, Garden Church in in Southern California, you know, he put up a post today and he said he had, he had a real prophetic sense that Gen Z would be known as Gen Zeal. Mm. It's, it's a word, um, and you know, I think it's a prophetic destiny. Am I saying everyone's going to everyone in that generation is going to be that? No, it's never like that. It's always mm. a remnant, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think we can learn from the zeal. Like, there's an element to. Remember Pete Gregg was on and he said, you know, I went to Asbury because, you know, it's just a little bit cynical, a little bit, you know, like tired and and he saw something. And I've seen that with some of my friends who weren't Gen Z and went there and profoundly marked. Yes. Um, so as we encounter the zeal, I wonder if it speaks to us. Mm. Maybe it's a little bit of a message. Okay, come on, guys. Like there's hope here. Yeah. You know, um, there's actually zeal. And it's a zeal which is an invitation to a power source that's not our own. That's not in reaction to what's happening in the culture, the last thing, but actually it's zeal that comes from an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Mm. So maybe what Gen, Gen Z's, Gen Z's gift to the generations above them is is zeal to remind us, you know, and and as 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 a slight loving rebuke. <laughs> When we feel a bit too sorry for ourselves, and, yeah. and like, hey Elijah, like, come on, man, you're not you're not going to just sit in the desert and wish you were dead. Like, there's power here, and mm. yeah, maybe it's not scary, maybe it's not lasers and, and smoke machines and lights, but it's the still small of the voice voice of God. It's real. It's encounter. Come on. Mm. Um, and maybe the gift of the older generation is yeah, we've seen some stuff, 
you know, we know we had, you know, there's moments we've probably, we felt zeal, but yeah. then we got beat up. Yeah. Um, and we've learned some things that we can, we can teach you, but we're not going to crush you. Mm. We're not going to put our rubbish on you. We're not going to discourage you and we're not going to quench the fire because of what we went through. We're not going to mm. put you through the lens of potentially is a millennial maturation point, but if we're not careful, it could be a millennial midlife crisis point. Mm. <laughs> and instead of like in, in that engagement, instead of like just we're not going to look into us, we're going to look to you. And in the handing across, I okay, so what formational practices and what things that helped us can we pass to you? Mm. But that's form that keeps the fire going. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a beautiful dance that could happen here, you know. And I think it needs to happen. I think it's, you know, the scriptures talk about the handing over. I think it's in Timothy, paradosis, the handing on of faith, of tradition mm. from the garden, you know, where Adam and Eve are told to go forth and multiply. Deuteronomy, you know, write this on your foreheads, hand it to your children, mm. you know, discipleship, a great commission, go into all the world and make disciples. Um, that beautiful chain keeps continuing. Mm. Um, so I think there's a moment. Zeal points here. Let's step into it. And just a comment too, like I made a comment about late stage church growth. Yeah. <laughs> what if the next thing isn't program? What if the next thing is power and presence? And that's where all of this happens. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so I think exciting potentials for the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, a really encouraging um, episode today, Mark. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Daniel. Mm. And, yeah, it's great to be back. Hey, if you were listening and uh, heard us mention any articles or books, we'll make sure that those are in a subscriber email. If you would like to become a subscriber, you can head to our website, rebuilders.co, and subscribe to the mailing list. And we send out an email not long after the episode comes out a couple of days later. So we'd love to have you on that list. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us.